And hello, and welcome everyone to the comic multiverse where the worlds of nerd meet. And oh, Matt, you know, not to not to call my shot too early or anything, but we we got a show this week, man, a, a show of shows. We got so much shit going on here. We're going to be talking about the, uh, I guess, what you would call the current status of DC Comics, you know, as is always the way we record this show, Sunday night usually. By the next Monday, the shit had gone down. Oh, absolutely, yeah, like the... Not even like the the next day. It was like in the the late late hours of Sunday for for me at least. Yeah, the uh, the shit had gone down. We're going to be covering that. Uh, we got some new books to talk about. Again, it's going to be a very DC heavy show. Marvel was pretty quiet this week, and then after that, uh, where we would normally talk about what we read this week. If you're watching this on YouTube, Patreon people have already gotten to see this, but I scored a hell of an interview with Justin Halpern, the uh, executive producer of the Harley Quinn show, which naturally I know people on my channel loved that show, and uh, it's now on HBO Go, so there's a whole new group of people seeing it. And we, we dig deep in the show, and, you know, he's, he's just a fun, fun guy. Awesome. Yeah, the show was really good. It recently came to Amazon Prime here, both seasons, so I'm, like, catching up on it. It's good shit. Like, it is genuinely surprising the yeah. places that show goes, both in terms of comedy and in terms of characterization, because it's like, oh, this isn't just a funny laugh-laugh show. There's actual, like, stuff going on here. Yeah, yeah. And they make better choices with Harley than the comics have made in a couple of years. Not yeah. going to lie. Yeah, they do. they definitely one of my favorite interpretations of Harley. Harley is getting a new costume, though, as we and saw. And it looks good. She doesn't look like a circus hooker anymore. No, it's a nice combination of her new 52 look, which is also the movie look and going to be the de facto look. But also, hey, she's got the little frilly things around her wrist again, and she actually has something that looks like it would help her in a fight. Yeah, all that she's missing is like a top hat. Yeah, again, you know, uh, Assault on Arkham kind of solved that pretty good where it wasn't makeup, it was a hat, but it's like you could still see her eyes through it and everything, mm -hmm. and a lot of face was still exposed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would be cool. Uh, the chat mentioned Stargirl. Yeah, I guess since last we did the show, Stargirl uh, finally ended its first season. And boy, what a what a freaking finale that was. What a finale. They got, like, they went to places I didn't think that show was going to go. No, 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 no. It's like usually when a show like that comes to an end where it's like, oh, well, at, you know, naturally they're going to have to plant some seeds to, you know, drum up interest for a second season. Here they almost do the Lord of the Rings thing where it's like, okay, here's multiple endings, each with their own seed of shit we could do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it makes sense because uh, obviously the show got renewed for season two on the CW. So uh, we have many different places that show can now go. You've got the stuff with like Yolanda ending up killing mm -hmm. Brainwave to discuss and yep. kind of followed in with the t type of hero she wants to be. Uh, you got the, what else happened in there? I, I guess, I guess I, Icicle died, quote unquote. Yeah. So, you know, will his son, you know, take up the mantle and become the villainous Icicle Jr. that we know, or will he, you know, uh, become a hero like the other guys? Then of course you got the Eclipso gem mm -hmm. was not expecting them to go there. That's pretty heavy. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And then, of course, you have the shade coming back, and I literally sat there all season long, where I'm like, what about the shade? When's the shade gonna get there? And literally, he shows up and just talks shit about all the other villains. I like, like, through the season, they, they, uh, they teased, like, oh, what happened with shade? It's like, oh, well, he betrayed the team, and, mm -hmm. and, like, all this shit went down with them, and all that, so, yeah, could he be a, an ally to Stargirl at first, and maybe, maybe try and 
take out the rest of the injustice society that's still alive because like yeah. gamble is like the only one who kind of escaped yeah 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 the well the gambler and also uh i'm assuming uh tigress and sportsmaster yeah. escaped or at least they didn't die mm-hmm. so that was certainly fun but yeah man such a such a cool show such an iconic ending too when they're just hanging out there on the water tower yeah yeah that was a nice ending very nice ending very good very feel good something something we definitely need now in a day and age when it feels like we get less and less feel good <laughs> so uh so beyond that how uh, how was your week man what have you been up to yeah no it's it's been pretty good i've been working i i, I was talking to you before the show i recently acquired an elgato capture card yes i'm jealous i will now need to get on your level <laughs> yeah i i was i got it yesterday and i've been playing around with it and it's it's pretty fun it's pretty fun nice Nice, nice. I got to get back to streaming more stuff too. I know the the Franken way of streaming that I have been doing ain't gonna hold up with all these new powerful games. I tried to do that with Sekiro and everything almost blew up. <laughs> oh yeah, like, like I've noticed because I did the exact same thing with you uh, that you did with my setup, and then like I changed to the Elgato, and it's like night and day. Oh, I can I can only imagine. So uh, I've been playing a little bit more Sekiro there. Uh, I can I can I gotta get my glasses fixed. I'm sure I would have. Uh, beaten the game by now but i keep getting eye strain playing it i'm like it's too much it's too much color and too much beauty i can't handle it <laughs> so i keep needing to take breaks during the bigger bigger battles but you know that's that's a lot of fun uh so yeah that's basically what i've been up to uh should we uh should we hop on into the news because there's so much of it there's a lot now, again, a lot of these stories we're going to cover are kind of connected for the first little bit so follow us on this journey mm-hmm if you will, and we'll try and figure this out. We might bob and weave in and out, but uh, by the end, we are going to be covering basically the big the big goings-ons, which I alluded to at the top of the show, and that is Monday last week after we did the show, uh, DC and Warner Brothers, as well as their parent company, AT&T, announced a ton of huge layoffs at the company, like some huge-ass names there. Including yeah. Bob Harris, Andy, uh, I can never Cor- Corey. Yeah, Corey. I don't know the Cor- one you're talking about, yeah. He was a very nice guy who mm-hmm. I followed him on Twitter forever, and he's one of the few executives or like editors and people in power where it's like, oh, wow, you're actually a pretty cool dude. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so a lot of people were gone from the company, and no one could really explain how or why. Eventually, it would come out later. AT&T's like, oh, well, you know, we had to scale back on some of our smaller divisions because of coronavirus and because of this, that, and the other thing, you know, just just natural layoffs. And in the back of my mind, and I'm sure you were thinking this too, Matt, where it's like, this was bound to happen. Oh, yeah, this is – and DC Comics isn't the only one, like, uh, suffering from, I think, like, HBO let a, few, a bunch of people go, which is really strange considering they've just launched an app. yeah. Uh, I, yeah, they. I think all up between like DC Comics, HBO, Warner Brothers, and whatever else. I think there was about eight hundred people, something like that, six hundred to eight hundred. Uh, it's funny. All the major websites and all the YouTube videos, they they all referred to it as a bloodbath, which was interesting. They were making this seem like friggin' the Red Wedding, like Bloody mm-hmm. Sunday or something. Like, well, it's more of a bloodletting than a bloodbath, but still pretty. <laughs> pretty rough for all the people who work there especially people again who i mentioned like harris who was like well i assumed they would never leave i assumed they would have to be dragged out kicking and screaming yeah his was probably the most surprising out of this because yeah he's been with the company for a while like he's been through 
many different things like this and has mm. he's been the one who's like come out come out of it untouched except now yeah totally totally entrenched i was gonna say for better or worse but mostly it's for worse if you believe all the rumors that fly around about him yeah but uh man to see him and didio both leave in the same year at least didio kind of makes it sound like maybe he was fired maybe he left under his own power maybe he was just the first of what would be the rest of these yeah yeah i i could see him being like the one that they're like if we get rid of him then we can like get rid of all these other people or just to like test the waters yeah. the sad the saddest thing about well two sad things about it one they did it on a monday they fired all these people on a monday during a global pandemic yeah that's that's not good that's not good that's bad and then it's the one two punch of hey we fired all these people from this company also get hyped for a couple weeks for fandom everybody that's what i found so fucking strange about this yeah it was like was it i think seven days out from yes maybe uh the biggest thing they're gonna have all year all the next year and a half basically and now it has this dark cloud swirling around it which ooh. That doesn't bode well for AT&T's managerial style for this, because that either means one of two things. One, they knew and they didn't care, mm -hmm. which is likely. Or two, they had no freaking clue that fandom was coming out and what it meant to the DC brand, and they just fucking did it anyway. But also it calls into question fandom, because uh, what a lot of people didn't seem to realize is a lot of it is going to be pre-recorded stuff yes yes it so, is pre-recorded so there's no no chance that anyone who goes if it was live there's no chance that anyone who was on there can say anything uh, about it or complain yeah, yeah. which ooh, yeah i i caught on that late in the game when james gunn was sharing some mm -hmm. stuff from mm -hmm. suicide squad it's like hey here's some clips from the upcoming fandom panel like you already did it <laughs> and then i'm like oh wait not only did you already do it but you already solicited questions months in advance from people like me yep Yep, they, I think they might have had this planned. And then and then you cut it off so no one could ask about it. Oh my god. Kind of all fits together, doesn't it? Holy shit, that is... Again, that is some comic book supervillain <laughs> shit is what that is. <laughs> I'm building a box. You won't know you're in it until it's too late. <laughs> Uh, which, man, you know, say say what you want, and I'm sure we're going to be saying this a lot in the next weeks and months, say what you want about Disney and their handling of the Marvel IP and anything. At the very least, you know, Disney, in their heart of hearts, their creative soul will always be as the cartoon makers, as the Imagineers, the storytellers. AT&T, Matt, what's their creative soul? Phones? <laughs> Phone company. <laughs> tech bro capitalism apps and shit and apparently not even doing really good with phones because everyone i hear who has at&t only complains about at&t and that's what i've heard about hbo max like it's not not as good as like what they were touting it to be like, mm. like, like like in the first like week or something didn't they lose all the harry potter films something yeah that's right there was a huge thing with that uh losing a lot of shit uh also too another thing they can't talk about at fandom but we'll probably be forced to mention so the dc universe app is basically dead in the water now yes i mean we it, joked it about pretty it much is but now i think the writing is officially on the wall all the good worthwhile shows have gone elsewhere and hey uh kind of fitting too that again i have an interview with uh, justin halpern coming up uh he basically more or less confirms it in our interview where it's like yeah they had lots of good shows and now everyone can see them elsewhere i i, I just don't see the logic behind 
behind it. They, they created the DC app. It's fine. It, it's got its own stuff. But then why are they sending it all to HBO Max? It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, apparently HBO Max is going to be the hub for everything now because, uh, what is it? They called in, uh, what is it, some outside sources, some outside contractors to uh, try and get these new acquisitions up in ship shape. And basically, you know, the app people are going to be running a huge chunk of stuff in their entertainment division. And in the comic division, they brought in someone from the world of esports. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, because esports, esports, they know everything about comics. Because esports and comics are the same thing. Oh, yeah, we're going to get someone from there to hang over all these creators' heads. And again, before people tell me, yes, I know, uh, what is it? Some people like Heather Antos left comics briefly to work in esports and came back, but it ain't that. Yeah, but that's like the opposite way. That's the good way. She started in comics and went to esports. It's not esports coming to comics. <laughs> That's such a fucking weird choice, but such a completely, utterly corporate choice where it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah, that, that's something. That's cool with the kids. With that's cool with the kids these days. Make make the comics like Fortnite. Make the Batman, but like the Fortnite. Yeah, yeah. Fortnite, that's, you know, holding its players hostage at the moment because yeah. they're mad at Google and Apple. Yeah, fuck. That's another thing that happened this week. The Fortnite uprising. Don't let 1984 <laughs> happen again, says Fortnite. Um. Fortnite, I'm, I think that's maybe not a great literary reference to make right now. Okay. <laughs> no, it's the most important thing, Joel, that's ever happened in our time. Buildings on fire in the background. Mailboxes being stolen in the night. Uh, yeah, but Fortnite, though. <laughs> and uh, this story just kept growing and kept evolving, too, because only a couple days after this news hit, uh, solicitations came out for, uh, what is it, uh, October, November, and beyond mm -hmm. and everything. And as we found out from the solicitations from DC, they axed several big titles. Now, admittedly, a lot of these titles were kind of up in the air anyway, because Death Metal, by the time we hit January, is going to be resetting and renumbering any of these anyway. Mm -hmm. But the fact that this all came so close together, it's kind of hard to feel like, ooh, was that more axes falling? Was that more chickens coming home to roost? Well, as you said, like I saw heaps of people saying it was like these are like the first first casualties after those layoffs, and like these things are like thought out well in advance. These like yeah. these would have come become cancelled like months ago. Now that's. Not to say that uh, when taken all together, they don't paint an interesting picture. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the biggest, uh, the, the literal poster child for the article was Hawkman, a book I know you were really enjoying that's run, I think, longer than any Hawkman solo series has. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think, it, what issues are going to end on like 27 or something? It's, it's, it's up there. It's quite, it's got a couple of volumes. Which in and of itself is a miracle for a freaking Hawkman book to run for like two years like it did. So good, good on it. And also to spin out of the original uh, Death Metal. I think it's one of the few things that spun out of original mm -hmm. Death Metal that's still going. Yeah, uh, maybe that's why. Yeah. Uh, one of the other books to get the axe was Teen Titans. Again, Teen Titans has been rudderless for so long. Now, I didn't even know uh, Glass wasn't even on the book anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, he, yeah, apparently there's, there's, it's already like in fill-in time right now. And here's the other thing. Uh, apparently all the big major characters aren't even in the book anymore. Like Damien isn't in the book anymore. Uh, none of the important characters are actually in the book anymore. It's just all the new ones, Glass created, and a few others. So I'm like, oh, so it's all the rejects now. Yeah, so, so it's a book no one was reading anyway. So literally that's a book that gets to limp to the finish line 
was probably going to get rebooted anyway, will need to be rebooted anyway, <laughs> again, which, God, I fucking hate the handling of Teen Titans. We fix it, we break it, we fix it, we break it, then we go back to the drawing board. Yeah, well, it might be a bit different now that Didio and Harris and all of those guys are out. Could potentially be good, you're absolutely right. You know, maybe, uh, again, the, some of these stories will actually have odd silver linings, like, hey, Bob Harris is gone, so maybe serial abusers won't be protected anymore. And also the two interim editors they brought in were both women. So, you know, hey, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I would have liked to have seen the industry move that way organically. But if this was the unfortunate kick in the ass it needed, I guess here we go. I guess so, yeah. I guess so. Uh, again, that wasn't the only teen book that's dying. Young Justice is getting the axe, too, which is surprising for a number of reasons, not the least of which being, hey... That's one of Brian Michael Bendis's babies. Bendis has been bulletproof for a long time, and now this is this is the one they're getting rid of. Huh. Yeah, well, what's important to notice is that he's actually getting to finish the arc that he'll be telling wow. once when this issue uh, comes out. Um, so it will be an ending. Um, and I think maybe it was kind of heading there anyway. It feels like right. it was anyway because the team is all back together. They kind of like found out all about like the the different things where Connor was, what happened to Impulse, all that sort of stuff. So I think right. it feels like it was kind of winding down a little bit. Okay, because again, I haven't been keeping up with it and naturally my brain jumped to, oh, we can't keep paying you more than anyone else <laughs> for all of these books. What's the one that's selling the least? This one? Okay, we'll get rid of that one then. Yeah, well, and it's the only Wonder Comics book going on at the moment. and So that technically will end the Wonder Comics line. I think I don't think the Amethyst book is in the Wonder Comics line, even though it should be. Because it's yeah, kind of right. spun out of this. Yeah, you're right. Because I remember looking at the cover for Amethyst number one, and I don't think it had the Wonder imprint mm -hmm. on it at all. Yeah, this is so, the, hey. the other one. The Wonder Twins finished, Dial H for Hero finished, which is really weird. Those two series got both got like extra issues and finished their entire storylines. Different, different, uh, you know, administrations, man. Different people yeah. in charge. Clearly, uh, the Constantine book from the newly revised uh, Vertigo line is also coming to an end, which is also like you know that Vertigo line. Outside the dreaming that I keep hearing good things about, all those other books feel slightly mishandled, don't they? Yeah, they all kind of just, like, fail and, and just, like, kind of go by the wayside. No one buys them, I guess. I mean, the, the people who buy them are the people who are really, really into Vertigo, yeah, but I yeah, think yeah. that audience gets smaller and smaller every year. Oh, absolutely. And it, it, it's probably because they keep cancelling the book. So they're like, oh, well, why do I even bother? And they keep promising resurrections. They keep promising the world and never mm -hmm. delivering. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just like, well, maybe Vertigo should just be allowed to be Vertigo again and not just have to be an imprint. And so, you know, it can, you know, rise and fall on its own merits. Mm -hmm. I mean, fuck, if things had gone differently, Vertigo might be the new image now. Or Vertigo was image before image. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a hell of a thing. Uh, but yeah, so there's just a smattering of books. Also, there's like some other books that are coming to an end organically. Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick's Aquaman is ending at 65, which, hey, pretty solid run. Yeah, I, I was, I saw that, I'm like, really? It's on 65? Like, and it's really weird because like books like, uh, like the Superman, Batman, Flash, Wonder Woman, all, all of them like jump from like their fifties to like 750 or a thousand, but like yeah. Aquaman just, just kind of kept on chugging and it, it made it seem very strange where you've got like Wonder Woman 760 mm -hmm. and then Aquaman 65. <laughs> Yeah, Arthur gets new, no love, though he will be getting a wedding issue, though, 
by the time this is all said mm. and done. And, you know, who doesn't love a superhero wedding? Uh, I mean, good for Taconic for telling the story she wanted to tell and for telling it as long as she did. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I cannot help but feel like, good, good, move her to better, bigger books now, please. <laughs> yes, yes. Give her something very, very big. Give her a Batman book or something. I keep saying she should write Detective. Matt Fraction should write Batman. Yeah. So we have a husband and wife team writing Batman. I want I want them to compete in the household over who has the better <laughs> Batman book. <laughs> I want to risk their happy marriage so I get great Batman stories. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a sick human being. <laughs> uh, also, uh, another book that's ending uh, on its own steam but kind of got put into this anyway was Tom Taylor's Suicide Squad, which is ending at 11. Yeah, and as well, it kind of makes sense because that'll be about the time, uh, I guess, marketing for the new film starts ramping up. So they'll be, mm. I imagine, we'll get a team similar to what is uh, in that movie. Right, interesting, huh? I mean, hey, you know what? Again, more power to him for telling the story he wanted to tell the way he wanted to tell. It's already the best Suicide Squad story oh, yeah. in decades. Oh yeah, that so Deadshot I issue last last week was so fucking good. Again, you you can do whatever you want, Tom Taylor, and again, you're freed up to do other shit. Mm -hmm. Also, too, I have to wonder, now that he's freed up on that team book, and because he's not exclusive, I wonder if uh, Marvel came a call, and they're like, hey, Tom, <laughs> what do you want to write, man? That'd be pretty cool. Like, give, him, give, him, give him Avengers or something. Again, Aaron can't write this for 10 years like he did Thor, and I imagine that would really get people excited to be like, hey... You know that guy who did Injustice? You like? Well, he's doing Avengers now. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure he'd find a way to put well, out. Hell, if the Ultimate Universe comes back, give him the Ultimates. Boom! There you go. Hey, now you get to play with all the Marvel characters just like you did in Injustice. Only now it's Ultimate. <laughs> Man. Man, that would get me excited to fucking read the Ultimate Universe again, <laughs> honestly. Because, like, whenever people talk about bringing the Ultimate Universe back, I'm like, I don't want to get invested again. I got invested before, and it all blew up, and it didn't matter. And, yeah, there's some truly great stories there. And, yeah, you know, uh, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man started great and ended great and everything. But I just – my heart, I just don't know if I can love again, Matt. Yeah, my heart. No, it, 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 was a, it was a very mixed bag, that series. <laughs> Absolutely. And again, too, it's like, yeah, you say that, but then Donny Cates comes through. It's like, but I did it in a Venom book, and wait till you see what I have planned. Yeah, and it looks fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh, I have such sights to show you, such <laughs> things to show you. All right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so lots of DC books getting the axe, and that kind of sucks. And this, again, leads us into our next big story here, where Jim Lee... Uh, when they finally sat down and talked to him, and it wasn't it wasn't even like a comic book publication that talked to him. It was like like a like a bigger news group. I want to say it wasn't the New Yorker. It wasn't. It was one of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, big boy media for big boys <laughs> came and talked to him. And uh, Jim Lee, he it was a very weird interview because you could tell he was in full on damage control mode and was desperately trying to not say anything. That would rock the boat and freak people out, which ironically, when you do that, you end up freaking people out anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, we're still going to be a company. We're still a company, everyone. Don't don't worry amid these massive layoffs and all these cancellations, everything. We are still a company, but we're going to be scaling back our line at least 25 percent and uh, yeah, probably more digital. Yeah, yeah. I, again, this I can't help but feel this might be also like due to the fact that they did all those digital first books and they apparently all yeah. sold very well absolutely so i could imagine them saying well we can just do these and these will net us like quite a bit of money 
and they're easy to make. Definitely. To uh, to bring it back to what I said before, honestly, this is the way all comic companies should probably be going anyway, mm -hmm. as it stands right now. And as we fans have been saying forever, you know, a more digital future is bound to happen. The only problem is, you know, the only thing that was stopping them up was Diamond Distributor mm -hmm. and the comic store uh, ecosystem. But now DC isn't with Diamond anymore and they're free to do this shit because they're not beholden to anyone. I would have loved to have seen the companies do this organically and not have to have such a catastrophic kick in the ass to eventually make them do it. Yeah, yeah. So again, this... This seems, you know, uh, like doom and gloom. This seems like the clouds are falling. And yeah, it's going to be a weird adjustment for a little bit, no doubt about it. But honestly, in the end, 25% digital might be a good thing. Yeah, it's also really strange to think that, like, would have all of this happened had there not been a global pandemic? Exactly, we don't know. Well, I mean, when AT&T did come to power and became the new parent company, I remember like six months ago, you and I said, where it's like, what does this mean? Nothing right now. Talk to us in six months. And now here we are. <laughs> that's very that's very true. I mean, I could I could maybe see it even being worse if there was no pandemic. True. Again, and it's it's not like DC was in a great place, you yeah. know, creatively. Like, I know you and I kept saying, it's like, oh, can we just have another crisis and another refresh? I'm so bored of most of what you're doing right now. And it's about time for another crisis anyways. What, been five years or so? Yeah, January. By January, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> I mean, assuming if we're all here in January and we're not all like, I don't know, dead or something. Yeah, did, yeah. You, did, did you hear that news story there? Apparently scientists picked up a heartbeat in a cosmic <laughs> gas cloud in space somewhere. That, that happened right before we started. Yeah, Galactus is on his way, folks. It's about goddamn time. Sweet release. <laughs> now, uh, now, Galen, I would just like to let it be known that uh, I can get other people to gather energy for you. Just give me, just give me a little taste of that power, <laughs> cosmic, huh? Yeah, I'll become your herald per se. Yeah, I just, I just want to fly through the air and be <laughs> a herald of Galactus. I don't even have to be one of the good ones. I can be like one of the ones where you're like, oh yeah, I guess he was one. Yeah, yeah. As I said, Galactus is on his way here to see Tenant. <laughs> I love this. This is the work I crave. Hook it into my veins. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so that's a weird story. It will be interesting to see because this is probably one of the most seismic shakeups in, you know, like comic production that we've seen basically since you and I have been doing this online YouTube game. This could either end up being really good for DC or could end up being disastrous. I know uh, Jerry Conway the creator of The Punisher, writer of some of the best Daredevil stories, uh, the man behind the night Gwen Stacy died. Uh, he actually had kind of like a doom and gloom pitch for it, and I'd be willing to listen to what he had to say considering he's been in the business for so long, where he's like, hey, don't be shocked if this time next year Marvel has like a huge, a, a much huger uh, stake in a physical, you know, if they control like 90% of the market, if uh, AT&T continues to mismanage. Yeah, yeah. I, and again, like, this goes back to like the whole diamond distribution thing where it's like, I don't, Marvel haven't, hasn't said anything about it after months. No, months. no, they, they have been almost deceptively quiet. Yeah, and, and they're like, for all intensive purposes, back to business as usual. We get comments yeah. from them every week, you know? Yeah, that's true. Heck, in fact, we're getting more comics sometime. Hey, here's our whole big summer event. You know, you get a new issue every week. Yeah. Oh, there's no, issue, no Empire issue this week. I checked. I'm like, ooh, they lent a stew over that last issue. 
I guess so. Well, it was a fun issue. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now, one of the other big uh, creative shifts that we saw, and I know this is something that you and I in particular, Matt, were keeping an eye on because it's something you know you and I feel rather invested in, and that is the fate of Red Hood, Jason Todd. Well, as part of those solicitations, we found out the brand-new creative team as of issue 51, and I must say... It's a pretty bold and pretty interesting choice, actually. I know you and I had said, hey, they should get a woman to write it. They didn't, but the team they have is pretty fucking cool. It's a pretty good team. I'm just surprised that they continued on after this. They continued this U51 and didn't just, like, like just just reset it all. Just is an issue one. I imagine they're going to do that at, in, like, come next year, but, yeah. That's the thing. Well, the weird thing about it is that it's, not Red Hood and the Outlaws. It's not Red Hood Outlaw. It's just Red Hood now. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it, it could be pretty cool. Could be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, the, the cover they showed is actually very interesting because it's Jason in a sick ass, you know, muscle car, basically looking at his phone all sad. And he doesn't have the red helmet anymore. He has the hood and he's back to the domino mask. Yeah, they finally decided to get change his costume from that god awful one he's been wearing for how many years? Oh, God, since the new 52. I, I I like the new look, actually. Again, he looks a lot like the older Red Hood and, again, actually looks more heroic. Uh, the creative team that I alluded to before was uh, Sean C. Martinborough, who was a longtime collaborator of uh, Robert Kirkman. They did Thieve of Thieves together. Uh, he worked for Milestone back in the day. Uh, he has a DC resume, too, The Creeper, Detective Comics. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the artist is interesting too. That's going to be Tony Atkins, mm-hmm. who uh, worked on Jack of Fables, Hellblazer, and a lot of under- other interesting stuff. And some of you have probably already put two and two together before I even have to tell you, but it's like, wait, that's an all black creative team. Yeah, yeah, it is. The first all create all black creative team DC has had in literal decades. Yeah, it's been a while. Been a while. <laughs> which I think is pretty freaking cool. And as we can see on this cover too, you know, there looks to be a new femme fatale lady in Jason's life and also Killer Croc in a suit, which I am yeah. always a fan of. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with Killer Croc in a suit. I haven't seen him in a suit since Hush. Uh, Catwoman, I think. Uh, Catwoman put him in a suit when she was ever so briefly a kingpin of crime. <laughs> but yeah, this, uh, this looks like an interesting setup. And again, just man, Jason could be so good if they were willing to just put any time and effort on him and, you know, not put, like, a writer like Labdell, who was the worst. Yeah, well, again, this 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 could get me reading it. I'll, have to, I'll check out that issue and, and just see if if it's worth my time. But as well, like, I kept saying they need to, like, completely reinvent Red Hood and, like, give him, like, a completely new costume, a new, a new mm. code name, like, something, just move, move him on, evolve him. Like Venom. Like yeah. they did with Venom in yeah. that Venom book. Yeah, but the perfect example. Where it's like, yeah, we reinvented the fucking wheel on this character. And yeah, I hope they reinvent the wheel with uh, him too. Because, you know, I, I don't like not liking Jason is the thing. I like him in other stuff. He's really great uh, in anything Tom Taylor mm-hmm. writes. And it's like, wow, what an interesting, uh, you know, component to the Bat family. If yeah. only he was written as such. Yeah, he he looks past the helmet and the guns. And yeah. goes like, there's a person under there. It's not just a thing to the, that shoots things. And For is real. cool. For real, for real, and doesn't have to be just uh, Mr. Edgy Boy all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm totally down for that. Totally checking that one out. Uh, what else did we have going on here? Uh, ooh, uh, speaking of black creative teams in DC, and I was uh, John Ridley's uh, Batman series to see the light of day 
after all, uh, this is the 12 Years a Slave guy. Uh, they made a big deal about his Batman series as part of the 5G initiative and everything else. They had rumored that Luke Fox was going to be uh, Batman during this, but no one ever seemed to confirm it. Mm-hmm. They didn't deny it either. No, no. Yeah, again, this feels like, like what I've been saying this whole time, where they're going to be repurposing all of this 5G mm-hmm. stuff. And this seemingly is like the first confirmation of that. Yep, 100%. They are repurposing it, repackaging it even. And they repackaged it with like a weird uh, a weird little tagline to it where it's like, hey, it'll be a miniseries. It'll be on its own over here. But it will also be very important to continuity. I'm like, well, what the fuck is it? Again, it, it's like the three jokers where, where Jason's for books saying it's like, it's in continuity, but it's not. But it is if you want it to be, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> three Jokers. God damn, can you believe we've waited so fucking long for Three Jokers? That comes since out the... soon. I know Apparently. it does. I, I can't believe... The end of the month, I do believe. Yeah. I cannot believe that. Man, if that book doesn't, like, do my taxes and wash my <laughs> floors, then what was the wait for? I mean, it's Jeff Johns. He, he, he spins gold. That's true. I mean, come on. I mean, Jeff Johns... If You know, I always thought it was true. And then, you know, Doomsday Clock really made it true. I'm like, you mad fucking genius. You stuck the landing, you. <laughs> Amid all the bullshit, how did you do that? And then they ruined it by announcing a Rorschach tie-in. Uh, and also kind of all the stuff they're doing in, uh, what is it, uh, Death Metal right now. <laughs> yeah. But even but even then, Death Metal, as we've said before, is a fucking joke and a parody. Yeah. And it's like, it's like making fun of itself as mm-hmm. it's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I, I'm definitely interested for this book to see the light of day, and I wonder if they're kind of waiting and seeing, because like this, this was the only real 5G book we heard of, where they're like, oh, we got a big celebrity writer here, oh, we're taking bold new different directions, oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, I can't think of any any other writers that were on like 5G books. I, I do remember reading, I think it was like, I think it was meant to be for like a one shot or something, that that, uh, that free comic book day one shot was going to be written by an editor who I, I don't oh. know if they're there anymore. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that this, uh, that this will see the light of day because, you know, even if 5G isn't a thing anymore, it is like, okay, but let me, let me get a feel for what the plan was, though. Yeah, I imagine they have all these stories written and, and they kind of already teased 5G with Doomsday Clock as well as like mm-hmm. Wonder Woman stuff and Alan Scott and all this stuff so they they kind of have to do it so they're just repackaging it all yeah you mentioned it was going to be written by an editor wasn't wasn't that the joke for years in the new 52 where it's like oh yeah who wrote this book the editors yeah the editors they they, these grant morrison and all that just names on the cover (laughs) yeah really who wrote it was really the editors who wrote it and again hey i've i've heard some stuff from people that yeah that's like half a joke but like only half a joke yeah well we had that recent there was like a tom king panel and he said that that super friends uh two-part in his batman ongoing which was the best two-parter in his ongoing where where they where batman and superman team up and go on date with their wives to that carnival apparently they didn't the editorial didn't want that to happen because it was too fun it's the same same editorial that didn't want tomasi writing that um uh carnival issue Oh, yeah, which, again, makes me just raise a massive eyebrow where it's like, whoa, 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 wait. So the one, like, one of the only things in the Tom King Batman run I actually liked, even mm-hmm. though I disliked everything else, editorial hated, 
but all the other bullshit that made no sense was fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Again, they just, they nixed that, but yeah, just didn't pay attention to anything else. I, I had, like, a real introspective moment there. I'm like, was I wrong about Tom King? Was, like, maybe, was maybe his story good and editorial made it shit? I don't know. <laughs> you never know with these things. I mean, I mean I'm, we probably will in a couple of years, but you never know. Yeah, isn't, uh, isn't that a scary thought? But, uh, yeah, and hey, you know what? Uh, John Ripley wasn't done yet because, hey, bringing it back uh, to Black Label, yeah, that's a thing that happens. Uh, what is it? His other History of the DC Universe book uh, is also going to be coming out as well, so it was a goddamn good day for him. Yeah, again, again, this was a book that we've heard about for a while. It was cancelled, and then we never heard anything, and then I guess it just come back. It, it was the, one of the first books that they announced uh for dc black label a lot of which also haven't seen the light of day yet but this one actually is going to come out and i'm like ooh, interesting you know a take on dc uh dc universe heroes and i can only assume because it's called the other history it's going to be hey here's the history of the dc universe but from minorities point of view or based on the cover it looks like it's got a uh, black lightning uh and all different uh african-american superheroes all over it and superman and batman because they sell naturally uh which honestly this is a pretty fucking good pitch actually yeah. for a series honestly where it's like look you know that's the history you know is through the eyes of batman superman and wonder woman you know let us see it through the eyes of someone else yeah and i'm more than happy for Jeff jefferson pierce to be a main character in this oh movie. yeah oh yeah i mean he's got a tv show it's about time that uh you know his uh his stock rise a little bit mm -hmm. also i think uh i think batman and the outsiders is also ending so he's gonna be adrift without a book soon <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oops. Sorry, Black Lightning. People like your show, though. <laughs> don't don't feel bad. Green Arrow had a popular show forever, and he never truly was able to parlay that into any long-lasting comic success. Yeah, yeah. That's another reason, too. It's like, Joel, why are you so hungry for a reboot to DC Comics? So, I want my goddamn Green Arrow back, and this might be the only way I get it. Yeah, it, it might be. But the thing is, like, yeah, will they actually do a Green Arrow book? Because even, as you said, he had eight seasons of a TV show and barely got anything. Yeah. I'm the real villain of the next crisis. Burn it down. <laughs> burn it all down. I hope Ollie gets a new book. Yeah, turn everyone into Green Arrows. <laughs> Yeah, really. Oh, the Green Arrowverse. <laughs> Crisis on Infinite Ollies. <laughs> and then Skateboarder Ollie has to I was just about to say, that sounds like something like a skateboarder. <laughs> and then Tony Hawk joins the DC Universe. <laughs> I'm the Birdman. Oh my god, it already fits. <laughs> oh jeez, I'm sorry guys, Darkseid has opened up a black hole. No Superman, it's okay. Only I can do a Christ air on the black hole around the rim and get it to close. <laughs> Batman, you're a good man, Tony Hawk. I believe in you. <laughs> and then he goes up into space and he starts doing the trick and then all over the world, all the heroes as one starts singing. They're doing everything I can, pretending I'm the Superman. <laughs> this, is what, this is what death metal is building to. This is what it's all building to. Tony Hawk saving the multiverse. He's going to come in next issue and save the Flashes from the Darkest Night. Because he can skate into the Speed Force. Absolutely. He, like, pulls up. Hey, Barry, hop onto my skateboard. I can skate faster than you can ride. <laughs> oh, you can tell I just watched that documentary about Tony Hawk and the creation of those video games. <laughs> It's called Pretending I'm Superman. Go check it out if you're interested. It's actually pretty cool. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and a total marketing tool because they're remastering the first two games. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So it's good. It's good shit. Again, if you like video game documentaries. <laughs> uh, what else do we got going on here? Uh, so again, keep it on the Batman tip as we are. Uh, John Ridley, he's getting a miniseries for whatever his ideas are. Uh, James Tynan is getting to stick on the book past when we originally thought he would be. We thought he'd be done at 100. Uh, we know in 100 he's going to be doing something with Grifter where it's like, okay, now you're just at the height of your power. Do whatever you want, Grifter. Yeah, Grifter's coming to join the Bat family or something, or coming to Gotham for a while. Or something, who knows. Then it's like, okay, well, what do you got for issue 102? I'm okay, okay, new story, new story. Uh, a brand new character called Ghostmaker. <laughs> he has created so many new characters in the last, like, I want to say like five issues. He really has. I mean, they're all pretty good. I mean, yeah, they're all yeah. interesting. We, we don't know jack shit about any of them at the moment, but yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> I mean, Punchline was clearly a huge seller just by looking at eBay, so I wonder if they're like, hey, James, can you do that again? Can you create another character that we can build a lot of buzz around? It's funny. I saw, I think it was the DC, the main DC account asked, like, in the last year, who's been your favorite new character? And no, there's all these people who were saying Punchline. I'm like don't know anything about the character like she's she's appeared like once it's like literally she's the only new character you can think of and then when i stop and think about it, i'm like i can't think of any new characters in any dc books that even the, like leave the revolutionaries sort of... oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The air, what, they're, wink. they're a team though that's the true, problem they're a true. bunch of characters you can't just put that on and thing. again but yeah, and again as well we don't know a lot about them either that's true. We're only getting little bits of information. Now, that being said, Tom Taylor said even though his Suicide Squad is coming to an end, you haven't seen the last of the Revolutionaries, which is interesting. Yeah, well, no, they're in the Deceased book at the moment. I was going to say, is he just referring to the fact that you can read about them in Deceased, or is he saying they're going to be getting a spinoff, or like what? Well, yeah, maybe they'll be, they'll come into like Deceased Dead Planet, because they're in the that, that digital version at the moment. Indeed they are. But yeah, outside them, I uh, I can't think of any new characters. But yeah, Ghostmaker looks cool, and also I guess is 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 he Ghostmaker because he kills people and makes them into ghosts, or is he a ghost who makes stuff? Yeah, can he make ghosts? Is this is this a space ghost coast to coast style situation? <laughs> I I love his color scheme though. I love the pale green over the white with the little black accents. Very very like anime like antagonist looking yeah i'm glad you said that matt that's another thing that i think brings together all of tynan's new creations on batman and i think it's perfectly uh expressive of how much younger he is than the last couple batman head writers because all of his new creations are anime as fuck yeah and they're great they look great yeah like uh like even the designer which i'm like yeah, this guy's a little over designed then he said you know my inspiration was a metal gear villain like oh oh yeah he's he's a fucking metal gear villain oh, yep yeah. i get it now yeah he's like revolver ocelot 100 <laughs> percent, even down to like his insane over the top plan punchline again oh you're the anime girl i get it you're the crazy anime girl yeah yeah i, I totally buy it and even the clown killer or clown hunter guy i'm like yeah you're you're like one of the guys from gantz yeah i see it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep yeah right on and uh, Ghostmaker too. Again, yeah, you're a cool tech samurai mm -hmm. with not one sword but two swords. Yeah, two. That's important to note. He has two swords. He's double the badass. 
you gotta have two swords, and he's got like the assassin cape there where you see one arm, but oh, what's he doing with his other arm, Matt? You don't know. It could be anything. He's flipping you off. <laughs> yeah, really, he's just flipping you off. He takes out his hand. It's a chainsaw. <laughs> chainsaw hand. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what this is going to mean for Tynan's run. I'm happy he got to stay on there, and here's hoping, you know, where they're like, okay, you get to stay on the book. Maybe now he gets to, you know, maybe slow down and tell more personal stories or just, you know, kind of go for broke now. And it's like, well, I didn't think I'd be on this book this long, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me do something crazy. Let yeah, me tell what, you about What could I get fired off from? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I didn't think I was going to be here to begin with. So, yeah, fuck it. Let's do some crazy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Let's 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 go fucking nuts. Let's get nuts in this world that's still without Alfred. Yeah, for now. Oh, Ghostmaker is Alfred. <laughs> He's the actual ghost of Alfred. <laughs> Man, if I'm right or if that becomes a thing and Alfred does actually factor into this story, you all owe me five bucks. Well, again, I said like like people were saying that a uh, designer was Alfred. Yeah. Which would have been silly, but also very comic book. And I'd be like, yeah, all right. Yeah. That's something that I could see. Uh, yeah, man, the the actual twist with designer was funny. Where it's like, no, it was actually Joker. And this B plot was actually the A plot all along. <laughs> that was some funny shit. Uh, oh, man, speaking of uh, Joker War. Uh, I, know, I know we said we weren't really going to talk about comics this week. But I tried to read some of the tie-ins. Boy, the tie-ins are kind of a mess. What tie-ins are there? Because I know, I know. All I know is that there's Detective Comics, which apparently is going to end up being like the main, the like main tie-in. Yes. Okay. So I read that mm -hmm. this week. That was, that was like, Batwoman, wasn't it? Yes. Which the Batwoman stuff is really cool, and I'm like, yeah, she's back in Gotham helping out. And then they totally ruin it by having Batman be part of that story because the whole crux of Joker War is, oh, I'm alone, I'm all drugged yeah, up and yeah. beat, and I don't have my family and my gadgets. And literally in the first five pages, hey, Batman, want to team up? I have some gadgets again, <laughs> and I'm not beaten up or on drugs anymore. Oh, God damn it! <laughs> so already that one fucked up. And again, it's like clearly either Tomasi didn't know or he just didn't care enough because it was hijacking his own story. Yeah, well, again, this this could be like an editorial thing where it's like we have this big event and we need tie-ins, but the way James Tynan's wrote, read it is that there can't be tie-ins because Batman well, needs to be alone for the whole story. Well, what they kind of do with it is like, remember in the last issue, Batman's like, oh, you know, Joker has seized uh, all these important places all <laughs> over the city. He's uh, seized uh, Wayne Enterprises and he's having them 3D print weapons. Well, Batwoman and him have to go and break up that factory. Why couldn't it just be Batwoman? I know, right? The story would have been 100% better if it was just Batwoman. Having Batman in the story legitimately made it worse. Yeah, again, all you do is you go, it's like Batman's like uncontactable at the moment. Like We don't know where yeah. he is. So uh, like, we've seen all these weapons Joker is giving his men. So we're just going to go to Wayne Enterprises or wherever and attack their, their base. And, and it'd be great too because it's like you do it and then you literally have them all just talking shit about batman the whole time mm -hmm. like i can't believe he pushed me away i can't believe the last conversation we had well i'm here to uh save his ass and save the city basically that would have been perfect yeah yeah or or instead of doing it about the bat family you do it about like clown killer since we got introduced yeah. to him and we haven't seen them since absolutely yeah uh apparently the next one is going to be killer croc focused and batman's going to be in that oh, one too and i'm like hell. that's unfortunate now let me tell you where the other ones are fucking up so 
Uh, I picked up Nightwing for the first time in forever because apparently by oh, the end boy. of this, because <laughs> apparently by the end of this story, he's supposed to be like back to Dick Grayson again. Mm-hmm. He's not at this. Apparently, he fought Punchline in the previous issue, and she like drugged him, so now he's getting all Joker-fied. And Barbara comes to the city to help him, but Joker-fied uh, Rick Grayson turns on her, and it's like a three-on-one fight, and she gets defeated at the end of it. I'm like, oh, that's unfortunate. None of it takes place in Gotham, though. This all apparently takes place before uh, Joker War. <laughs> but then it gets even stupider, Matt, because then I read the Batgirl tie-in. And the Batgirl tie-in is literally the Joker trying to restage Killing Joke, him coming to Barbara's house to shoot her again, and they have a big old fight in her kitchen and everything, and they fight all over the place. Okay. And then, like, that issue ends with them both beaten up and everything. I'm like, really? So in both the Batgirl one and in the Nightwing one, it's both Batgirl fighting Joker? Seriously? So from what I'm... From what... I'm hearing it's just basically so you got James Tynan talking about like he did that really great thing with Joker where it's basically yeah you kind of know what my plan is going to be but it's going to be like different enough that yeah. like something new. he's not doing what Joker usually does yeah whereas yeah. all the tie-ins is what Joker would usually do absolutely which, which that again that feels like like writers not talking with one another Oh, that's 100% what it is. The The themes and ideas expressed by the tie-ins run in complete opposition to what the main story is to the point where it's really fucking laughable, where it's like, oh, these were never meant to have tie-ins, but mm. you forced it to have tie-ins. Yeah, again, it sounds like maybe writers got like an, a brief outline for Joker War, and they're like, ah, oh, it's Batman versus Joker across like Gotham. Well, we'll treat it like a, a standard generic tie-in. Even even the idea too of calling it uh, what is it Joker War? Was this even supposed to be an event? It doesn't feel like it. it. Just feels like it was meant to be just just a Batman story because it was because yeah. in the Batman book it, it's it's going to be over very quickly on issue one hundred and we're already issue ninety seven. Yeah, for real. <laughs> As DNG in the chat brings up, you've had thirty five years to come up with new ideas for Batgirl and the Joker. I know, right? Nah, can't. I've got to keep referencing that one story. For, for all the... I, I feel like people don't even remember this one now because it's been so long, and I think people were even mad at it when it happened. I give Gail Simone all the credit in the world for when she went back to that well, she at least told a story about one of the henchmen who was there that mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. So it's like it actually wasn't about them, it was about another person who was there, and I'm like, cool, see, that's different and new. Yeah, yeah, you do stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, find a new vantage point, do anything with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, uh, the the tie-ins for there have been a bit of a mess. But uh, hey, again, keep it on the Batman tip, because this Batman train don't stop this week, apparently. <laughs> uh, it was also announced in the solicitation that Punchline is going to be getting, uh, I don't know if it was a solo series or just a special one-shot, but there's going to be an official Punchline book now. Yeah, it, it was a one-shot, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it does somehow make it into a series because apparently people just cannot get enough of this punchline yeah again this book's gonna sell for thousands of dollars like that one goddamn like cover of a book she wasn't even in yeah is just it's just it's wacky and again i can't say i don't like punchline because we barely know enough about her to make an actual educated guess yeah but yeah well from what i've seen is she's different enough from harley quinn that she's not exactly the same but yeah we don't know any i don't i don't get how people how people do this they just glob onto characters they know literally nothing about and think they're Absolutely. the best thing ever we don't well, even know that 
Well, it's funny, you know, we haven't seen something like this in a long time. Usually it's the opposite. Usually people glom on in a hateful way mm -hmm. to a character without even reading or learning anything about them. Here, this character has only been met with positivity and rapturous applause. I'm like, but you haven't done anything again, yet. Again, I think it's because she's she's like edgy. Uh, I you, you know, you, she, but what these people don't seem to understand is it's james tynan's like satirical critique on those type of people he's, with her he's making he's making fun of you if yeah. you really like punchline he's making fun of you yeah because of course you like these type of characters he's like we live she literally says we live in a society literally literally says it uh, as zeke in the chat says is punchline asian or white i do believe she's asian i want to say at least that's how she was drawn in one of the few scenes we see her without her makeup mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, she, she looks like a nice drawing. That's enough for me. You know, Louise, you might be on to something. I don't know. I, I think that is a way that a lot of comic fans act. That's a nice drawing. Unlike, say, something like Rogel's R, where it's like, that design is bad and busy and I don't like it. Yeah. Which I will admit was like the first like 20% of why I didn't like Rogel's R. <laughs> then I read more of the character and then I'm like, oh, okay, so this character is a bad design and sucks. <laughs> But, you know, I waited that long to decide that it sucked. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's more or less all the news uh, that was fit to print this week. Uh, a, a lot of shit, man. A lot of a lot of all DC-centric stuff. Yeah, they had a big week. And I, I guess they're going to have, like, another big week this coming week with fandom, which will be very, yeah. very interesting to see how that plays out now. Yeah, that's going to be on Saturday, the 22nd, mm -hmm. uh, which, hey, we do a show Sunday normally, so that's good. So we'll have lots of time to talk about that. Yeah, well, I know, like, because of, like, the time differences and stuff, um, I think, like, before we start the show, like, the last couple of panels finish, I think. I think that's yeah. how what I worked it out. I'm just trying to think of it i did work it out right i've got it all like because you can like put them all in your calendar or your different yeah, like, yeah. ones and i put them all all the ones i want to see in the calendar i i will say that you know fandom really is uh capturing what it means to be a convention because i look at the convention schedule there and i'm like oh that's a lot i'm not going to make it to any of these <laughs> <laughs> and they're online which is really weird like you're not actually like oh, i've got to run up the other side of the convention hall and yeah, you know, yeah. go to this other building on the other side of town or something you know <laughs> It's, it's all going to be on my computer, but I just throw up my hands and I'm like, oh, can I just read about it later? Can someone just, you know, put the bullet points down for me? Well, that's the thing. Apparently the, the panels play twice. They like oh. have the, the, their, their premiere. And then I think later on in the day or the next day they have an encore, but I don't think they're going to stay online interesting so i'm oh someone's gonna fucking record them and chuck them oh, up yeah, on yeah. youtube unlisted but yeah yeah without a doubt and i mean too it's like obviously they're gonna have some trailers in fact hey because this is the first show we're gonna be doing uh before fandom let's uh let, 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 let's take some bets and hey you know what uh chat you guys get involved in this one too because i'd like to hear what you all have to say what's What's something we really want? What's something we're certain we're going to get? And what's something that might surprise us? Uh, I'm going to say Suicide Squad trailer. We're going to get James Gunn's Suicide Squad trailer in this. That's... I think that was a given, mainly because that teaser he released kind of like hinted that we'll be getting a teaser or, or poster or something. Right. And that they hadn't seen it yet. So that's something I definitely like. Uh, maybe some more stuff on that Suicide Squad video game. Maybe it'll be very Suicide Squad heavy. I think we're getting something about that tomorrow. 
right or, or not tomorrow like to tomorrow as in we when we record this so right. it'll be a couple of days after right right do, do you think we're going to be seeing like uh some substantial words some substantial crossover between movie suicide squad and video game suicide squad because they're coming so close together like i bet hey pre-order and get the movie skins probably but i think they're going to keep it pretty reduced in terms of who the characters are in that in the game i think it's just going to be your usual harley quinn uh deadshot captain boomerang maybe and then maybe i don't know king shark or something yeah yeah that sounds about right uh gng says new creative teams i don't know is it too early for new creative teams matt considering that death metal is going to be taking us till at least fucking january well considering when i was looking through the schedule they they had one to be announced panel which i i I have a feeling it's probably something movie or tv related Um, right but i noticed the distinct lack of comic book stuff yeah there is some some stuff but like it it seems to be like kind of fluff stuff like advertisement for death metal you know the stuff with scott snyder and and jim Mm. jim lee's doing a lot of like panels yeah, it seemed mostly more entertainment stuff than comic mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, Assassin Heroes said a uh, big if, but maybe something static related. Yeah, something milestone related in general. Now that that's actually coming off the ground now, and if you were to actually release some news about that and show that, you'd pray it would probably go over really well. Yeah, well, especially now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, oh yeah, Zeke says we're definitely going to get a trailer for uh, what is it, the Snyder cut, and maybe even talking about Zack Snyder's cut too. Yeah, yeah, I don't give a fuck about that. Yeah, we saw the design of his new Steppenwolf, and it just looks like like broken glass became sentient. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess it looks it, it, better. It gets written. No, it doesn't. It it looks less comic book accurate. You know, say what you will about the Steppenwolf we got, but at least it looked like the Steppenwolf from the comics. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. I'm like, I guess it looks like a better monster, but looks no more like Steppenwolf than the other one did. Yeah. Uh, DC Universe officially merging with HBO Max. Yeah, they're going to have to answer that question. If they were smart, they would be like, hey, anyone who still has a DC Universe account and has put money on it for the month, eh, we're going to give you a free month at HBO Max. How about that? I think they'll be integrating it into part of like get HBO Max Plus and it gives mm-hmm. you like access to the comics or something. Right. That's right, all right. that that's all that that's got going for. Every other show has gone over to CW or or has been cancelled or has gone to HBO Max. Yeah. Ooh, to again to hype up the interview that you're gonna be seeing right after this. Uh, what is it, when uh when we're done here. I talked to Justin Halpern, the executive producer of Harley Quinn, and I'm like, hey, so season three, right? Because everyone fucking loved the first two seasons and you did two seasons back to back. What are the odds of a third season? Uh, he didn't even know is the thing, which I'm like, oh, that's either really good or really bad. But uh, yeah, I definitely want to see some more stuff on the animation side. Uh, I want season three of Harley, uh, maybe some word on Young Justice season four. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if we're going to get any of that. I saw like all of the stuff that had been announced so far, and I don't think they're going to be announcing anything else because it was a pretty full schedule. I think there was even overlap on some stuff. Right. Oh, yeah. Isn't there also like that Green Lantern HBO show and that uh, cop show in Batman universe? Yeah, yeah. We might get, we'll be getting stuff from Matt Reeves' The Batman, so I I'm imagine we'll be getting like probably a teaser for that because that's almost finished shooting. 
Can we get can we get Robert Pattinson to walk out uh, in costume? Well, he's going to be there. He's going to be there. There you go. Get get your ass in the costume. Well, he, he, he would have been there because they all they filmed it all earlier. So yeah. <laughs> Previously recorded before. Yeah, I know we're getting panels for all the CW shows. Uh, there inc- we go. Including including uh, the new Superman and Lois show, which is supposed to be debuting nice. in January, apparently. That'll be good. Uh, do, you, do you think we'll see anything from uh, Ezra the Choker Miller? <laughs> I don't know. Well, they've been like quite quiet on that. It, well, they have, but then you see all these things on Instagram where it's like, oh, you can be a hero too. And it was uh, Margot Robbie with a bunch of Harley Quinn cosplayers. And then it was Ezra Miller with a bunch of Flash cosplayers. And that obviously had a lot of people going like, uh, so they, they're still in your good graces, huh? Not, not getting rid of them? <laughs> that uh mm, okay just kind of feels like you know if you would ever get rid of someone for any reason it's because you literally have them on tape attacking someone <laughs> as dng points out um or well, he pointed out that the rock is going to drop the people's elbow on zachary levy but um yeah uh, i think we are getting black adam stuff that would be nice yeah because i guess that's coming sooner than we think yeah and imag- and i imagine we'll get like i i guess we kind of have like a shazam too like it's been kind of confirmed that we're going to be getting it but yeah i'd like to hear some more about that uh yeah everyone i mean i guess at that point here you know we'll start bringing the show to a close again stick around if you're watching the youtube version of this i have a wonderful interview uh with justin halpern of harley quinn we talk about the show we talk about animation oh oh it's so good and so fun you're gonna love it awesome all right, so with that, everyone, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, Joel in the past, will now throw over to me, Joel, at another time. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. And hello and welcome, everyone, to another Comic Multiverse interview segment. And oh boy, we got a hell of a one for you today, people. I am so excited that I get to talk to the man I get to talk to right now. He is a screenwriter, he is a best-selling author, and he is the executive producer on a show I know all of you love, just judging by the views it gets on my channel. That person is Justin Halpern. Or is it Halpern? This is probably a terrible time to ask this question, but I'm doing it now. (laughs) Uh, uh, it's Halpern. It's Halpern. So oh, Hal- okay. Halpern. All right. I didn't know yes. if you uh, pronounced oh, no the problem. P or not. I, uh, uh, people are always mispronouncing my last name, so I guess I'm a little bit more sensitive to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think I probably, it's weird. It's, it's, it's like, uh, I think that there's so many variations of Halpern that I think people just kind of like say whichever one they hear the most, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, again, thank you so much for uh, coming and hanging out with me today for a bit. I really appreciate it. We uh, were in contact uh, a little bit over Twitter, obviously, when Harley Quinn was coming out there uh, for uh, the DC Universe app. And, of course, now is the perfect time to get you on the show because uh, you can now watch both seasons of it on HBO Max as well. So, like, a whole new crop of people are discovering it all over again. Yes, that's been really awesome because, it, it, you know, DC Universe was pretty niche. And mm-hmm. uh, and it was this thing where the people who were seeing it really liked it uh, or they were pirating it, <laughs> you know, which doesn't let DC Universe know that people are watching it. But either way, people were seeing it and I was happy because DC Universe isn't, wasn't even, like, available to a lot of people. So I, 
I understood them trying to, if they wanted to see it, getting it whatever way they could. Um, but now on HBO Max, it does feel like, it feels almost like the show just launched. <laughs> you had a soft launch and a hard launch is what it is. Yes. Exactly. Very, very Tech Valley. So uh, I, I guess to start this off properly, a good place to begin with is, you know, tell the people out there who maybe aren't too familiar with yourself your own entertainment origin story, because, you know, I I, I, I kind of know your roots and your story is genuinely fascinating. Yeah, it's it's definitely, a, you know, I always feel like everybody has a weird story of how they broke into the business, but I, I tend to feel mine is maybe one of the weirder ones. Um, yeah, so I was like, uh, I waited, ta- I, I wanted to be a screenwriter. I waited tables for a long time in LA mm-hmm. until I was from probably like 21 to around 27. 20, and then I got a job writing for magazines at like 28. And then I was like, uh, I was, I was, I had a girlfriend. She was living in San Diego, which is where I'm from. And I was living in L.A. and we were kind of doing long distance and I got this magazine job. And so I said, well, I can um, I can do it from anywhere. So I Mm. just sort of showed up at her apartment being like, I took this new job. Let's move in together. (laughs) And she was like, I think we need to break up. (laughs) So I moved home with my dad and and mom in San Diego because I didn't really know where else I had I could go. Um, and I started this Twitter account called shit. My dad says where I would write down one thing. My dad said that day, each day. Mm. Um, and that Twitter account took off and I wrote a book that became a best selling book. And when I sold the book, I, uh, TV, uh, studios like Warner brothers and different studios started calling, asking if they could adapt it. I was kind of like, you know, I, I was like, I want to be a part of it. I know I've never worked in TV. I have a partner, Patrick Schumacher, who I'd have been partners with. We'd been writing. We'd been working, like, pretty unsuccessfully in feature films. Right. We'd sold one and optioned another, but not not enough to live on. Um, and so, yeah, so Shit My Dad Says was my first uh, foray into TV. The, the show was very bad, but, but we <laughs> got to be on staff of it and learn, and from there... We started to build our career, uh, and that was like our first step. I uh, I relate to that so much because uh, my parents and the shit they say is a huge inspiration to myself as well. In fact, uh, on my channel today, I came out with a new video. Uh, my mom reacts to every Avenger, so I sat her down and showed her like, "Hey, here's every person who's been an Avenger from like 1961 to 1991." What's what's your take on this, mom? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I could get my parents to sit for that <laughs> to, <laughs> to watch to watch those movies. I'm I, I'm very persuasive, is the thing. I is, is that, that that's my superpower. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's that's a hell of an origin story, and you know, from there, uh, you eventually started getting involved uh, with some more DC and comic book related properties. You you were actually one of the people behind the short lived Powerless show, weren't you? Yeah, so that show, so that was about like five or six years, no, seven years after Shit My Dad Says. And at that point, Patrick and I had been running shows. Like we had, we had had our own show on Fox that was called Surviving Jack, and, and we had an overall deal at Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. And so that was a Warner Brothers show, and the creator of that show, um, Ben Queen, he created the show, and, and I think like NBC and Ben just had like a completely different... Um, 
idea of what they wanted the show to be. Oh, ben had yes. a really Ben had a really strong vision of what he wanted it to be, and I think NBC had a different vision. And so then when they parted ways, we were under contract at Warner's, and Warner's was like, "You need to take this show over," and and it was kind of awkward and a little <laughs> uncomfortable because we we really liked Ben. We didn't want to take the show over. We were kind of like put in this strange position. We did. We we ended up running that show and we tried to make the version of it that we could make. Right. Um, but it was definitely learning on the fly. It was, it was tough. It was a tough situation, a great cast. Oh yeah. And I think Ben and Ben had like smartly put together a really interesting world. Um, and, and so we, you know, I think that show, as we got further down the line in that show, we started to figure out what, what version of it worked for us by like Mm -hmm. episode seven, eight, eight, nine. I think that's when the show starts to, to become a, a little stronger. Right. But the cast was amazing, and we'd worked with DC. That was our first time working with DC. And we were like, you know, I, I think after we were done with that show, I, I maybe even dur- no, no, during that show, we they had approached us. They were like, hey, do you want to do an R-rated animated Harley Quinn show? No kidding. I we did, were like, did not know that part yeah. of the origin story. Yeah, so they, they called me and Patrick and were like, would you be interested in this? This is before DC Universe even existed. Wow. So this was going to be some, this is 2016. So this is something we were going to like take out to like other networks. You That's know? amazing. Um, yeah, it was before Suicide Squad. It was like right before. Um, and so we were like, yeah, yes. My partner, Patrick, is like an enormous comic book fan, like as big as they get. Um, I, I was going to say, yeah, among the two of you, who's the biggest fan? Because as you know, a fan myself and as someone who follows the show, man, the deep cuts and the references, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. So th- we have a couple people on staff who are like intense comic book fans. Um, Patrick being one of them. So like most of the Easter eggs that you see in the show are things that like Patrick put in there. Um, my level of like comic book fandom was you know, I think probably like more than your average person, obviously, but I was by no means uh, an aficionado and I had to really like bone up. Like I knew a lot about Harley because I was a huge Batman, the animated series oh, fan, yeah. you know? Um, but, uh, and I had read some of the new 52, like Jimmy and Amanda stuff. Yeah. That's uh, the good stuff. Big Jimmy fan. Yeah. And so, so Jimmy and Amanda stuff was really like a, inspiration and a launching point for us just tonally Definitely. right like it was like i think they they kind of had leaned more into harley being an, an anti-hero mm. you know and i think we kind of wanted to make her more of a criminal we wanted yeah. to keep her more as a criminal but other than that the like tone of what they were doing um was an inspiration for us to take it and run with it absolutely um, and, and amanda even did a lot of the very early character designs. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so she did really, really early ones. And then Jen Coyle and Shane Glines worked off of those and created their own stuff. And Shane, Shane Glines is like, he's our character designer, and he's like a disciple of Bruce Tim. Mm, so I like, can tell. Yeah, so Shane's style is very much in that. Um, but yeah, so then we were getting ready to pitch Harley to like all the big streaming services. Mm. And then as we were kind of like coming up with the pitch and we were on powerless. So we had to put Harley on hold and we were done with powerless. 
they were like, hey, we're launching our own streaming service, DC Universe. And here's you, here's our, our, we think you should do Harley here. And if you do Harley here, if you come in and do, we at this point, we'd already come up with a pitch and we pitched Warner Brothers what we wanted to do. Right. And they were like, if you do Harley here, we'll pick it up for two seasons and you can get wow. working and you don't have, you don't have, you won't have like a bunch of different executives giving you tons and tons mm. of notes. You'll just have one set. They'll help. They'll make the show with you. Um, and that's the one thing, like, I think when people always point out to me, they're like, how'd you get away with this? How'd you get away with that? Um, I think a lot of times there are tons of bad TV executives mm. in, in the universe, but I think it's good to point out when you have really, really good ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and on this show, the two things that happened that allowed this show to be what it was is the, the old head of comedy at Warner Brothers, Aaron Werenberg and Wendy Steinhoff, who are the executives, were like, look, we don't really understand this world. <laughs> uh, so and we've never worked on a show like this one because it wasn't really anything like it. No, they were not like, at all. So, they're like, so we're not going to try to like fit you into our own box. We're going to like take our hands off the wheel and let you make what you want to make with the two animation executives who we were working with, who were Peter Girardi and Audrey Deal at Warner's Animation, mm. who were like, we love this show. We, we know what you're making. We're going to help you make it. And so it was this like Aaron and Wendy at WBTV completely taking their egos out of it, which almost never happens. That's so um, heartwarming and, to hear. Yeah, they're, they're just fantastic, smart individuals who are very confident in their own abilities, so they don't feel the need to like put their hands in everything. Um, and then Peter and, and Audrey let us like just go to town. I mean, I remember sitting in, we sat... We were in this meeting. Stop me if I'm rambling. But we, no, no, we please go ahead. This, this this is the show, man. <laughs> we were sitting in this meeting with Jeff Johns um, nice. back when he was the head of DC, yeah. and Ames Kirshen, who was also uh, uh, in charge of like basically all the IP at DC. And Jeff was just like, "Make the show funny. That's like all I really care about. Just mm. Make the show. I just want to. I just want." Basically, he wanted the world to see DC has a sense of humor. Definitely, you know? which we very much needed. We talk about that all the time on this show, self-seriousness. Yeah, and also remember DC in 2016, right? Like, yeah. DC in 2020 is much different than DC in 2016. Oh, nightmare. DC, DC in 2016 is not making Aquaman, is not making that version of Wonder Woman. Like, they're still making the, like, really gritty, mm. you know. So... Everybody at DC was like a little nervous, you know. They're so, like, this show is like wall-to-wall -wall jokes, um, and and so you know. But they stuck by it. They were like, they had a couple. They were nervous with our version of Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, and they were like, a, who, who, who's a sad drunk? Which I love that version because it's like, yeah, that's what he would be if he actually lived in Gotham City. If he was a real person, and man, Maloney, I freaking love Maloney as a comedy actor, and I'm glad that he really got a chance to stretch his comedy muscles in this show. Yeah, Maloney was the lead of one of our of our, this Fox show that we had that was a few years before, and he was so gifted, and just like somebody we really genuinely like liked and had warm feelings toward. Mm -hmm. And so when we, we said, we were like, look, Chris, this version of Commissioner Gordon, it's going to be like every day of his life is like the movie Seven. So... <laughs> 
he's like on edge. He's got a drinking problem. He's not processing. He's also like full of a lot of like toxic masculinity. So he's not going to go to therapy. He's not going to like, he's bottling all that shit up inside and he wants a friend and Chris, I got it. (laughs) And then he gave that performance of Chris, of commissioner Gordon, which is like, I, I, you know, I think with a lot of the characters in the show, we are using a, we're taking what's, canon and kind of stretching it right mm. like it's 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 a version of what you've seen but through harley's eyes but with right. gordon gordon was one of the only ones and king shark was one of the only ones where we were like hey this is a completely different take right like this absolutely. is not at all and bane <laughs> this is not at all who was but, also uh, one of my character. favorites <laughs> yes james adomian is like such a great vocal voice performer and he he really helps create things steals every scene he's in yeah he is great i remember we sat in this meeting with we had to we took a meeting with jeff and ames and margot robbie because margot was doing birds of prey but it was like she was just starting they were just starting like the script and she just wanted to hear like what we were doing to make sure it wasn't what they were doing that's so so cool i didn't know that yeah, so we sat and we pitched the whole show to Margot a couple different times. We had a couple different meetings with her when we'd like get more stuff. And Margot, I remember her turning to Jeff after the first meeting and being like, "Isn't this close to what we're doing?" And <laughs> Jeff was like, tr- "Jeff was like, trust me, tonally, this is like completely different from what you're doing." And she was like, "Okay," and that and they let us do it. That's that's so fun that she's so hands on. I had always heard that, but I didn't know how much of that was just you know spin. But no, she she really cares that much. That's super cool. Yeah, no, she was like really uh, she she was very hands on in what she was doing, and like yeah, I was shocked she wanted to like hear hear what we were doing because we we're just this little fucking cartoon, and and she's making this big giant movie, but. I think she took a lot of ownership in the, uh, in the character, you know, mm-hmm. I remember like she came, she was like doing promotion for I, Tanya and Which is an she excellent came movie. straight. Yes. Yeah, such a good movie. Um, she, she, she came straight from a press event and she was wearing like, like a $5,000, like Versace, like <laughs> suit that looked, it was like she looked like, and I'm sitting there with the other, with Dean and Patrick and a couple other writers, and we look like just like total shit. <laughs> and it was like, it was like a scene in Game of Thrones where like a peasant like holds something up to the queen and being like, "Is this okay?" <laughs> That's amazing. I love everything about that. You uh, you, you mentioned the characters too, and you know, how you kind of did your own interesting spin on them, but how they were also informed by uh, continuity in comics. I think my favorite thing, again, to, to bring it back to Gordon, is that you know you make him this sad seven style drunk, and yet you know him being such a schlub really helps in Barbara's development in season two and her choice to become Batgirl, not only for herself but to restore her father's own belief in heroism and man that touched my heart so well and i remember like watching that as a comic fan i'm like this this is better than anything they've given her in the comics in like a decade yeah you know it was funny like we wanted to so our thought process in that i'm glad you pointed out our thought process in that was like she would like she doesn't it's a classic thing of like you wish your parents were better Uh. you know like he 
like he she's been watching him fight crime and kind of fail for in our show yeah uh, for a long time and how it's like beaten him down so it felt to us like this natural progression that ultimately she would be like well i gotta do it then if he can't do it like i have to do it you know um and and so but like she you know she still loves her father and and it's a testament to Brie Cuoco, who voices her, mm-hmm. Haley's sister, and 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 Maloney. Like they they recorded all those scenes separately. I don't think they've even met. That's crazy. But they were still able to like build those performances and that relationship. And I thought it really, yeah, I was really happy with how it came out. The, the way the Harley Show is able to seamlessly balance the ha 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 wacky off the wall comedy, and then every so often, really gut punch you with some serious emotional content, I think is, you know, really a testament to the special sort of show you made here and why it truly caught on the way it did. I know uh, early on the show got a lot of very positive comparisons to, like, Venture Brothers and even in the sadder moments like BoJack Horseman. I just, you know, thought, uh, was was that always the intent going in there where it's like, nah, I you know, we're going to get them with the laughs, that's the honey, and then boom, we're actually going to say something. Yeah, it, it really, I mean, it's great to hear that people felt like that because that was our intention. I think the thing that we we were like, okay, we can't, especially in the first season, we're like, we can't run from the fact that Harley is in a very abusive relationship, mm-hmm. right, with the Joker. Like, it's really abusive. And if you, like, ha-ha your way through abuse, in my opinion, you're putting something out into the world that is bad. You're Agreed. putting something har- harmful out into the world right Uh so we were like okay how do we handle how do we make a show that tonally can handle the fact that she's been through like act you know trauma Mm -hmm. things that probably people things that people and women in the world have been through oh yeah you know and and how do we also have a show that has jokes and has laughs and i think that that was the thing we were constantly thinking about and the way we break the stories is we'd start with what is the like emotional uh, movement and through line in the season? And what is it each episode? How is she growing? How like if it's and we would, you know, we, there was a lot of women on staff who had been in relationships that were bad and and some even abusive. And, and it was like this thing where I remember when we, when we, when we were breaking out the season, one of the women on staff was like, she's going to have a backslide. Like she's got to have some moment where she feels weak and she feels less than, and she has this backslide to her abuser, you know, like she lets this guy trick him into this. And that's, Um, uh, that's episode seven of season one. Yes, I do believe. Right. Yeah. And so we, you know, we built that in, we were like, yes, that needs to be the, that needs to be in there. And so I think it was, it was having a staff that was not afraid to talk about things like that yeah, and yeah. for things to get, for things to get like serious. And then once you have the emotional through line, you can hang, you know where to hang the humor, you know where to hang the jokes, you know, because you're not just like hanging them up and then trying to figure out, and here's how I'm going to dance through all of them. You know, you're like, no, here's the through line first. Here's the emotional through line. And now it's easy to see where the jokes go. Totally. Uh, I mentioned this in my own video reviews and you can tell me, 
if I'm digging way too deep in this or if I've struck gold, there seemed to be this recurring falling motif in Harley Quinn. She, you know, gives up herself to the Joker, falls in the acid, and then falls out of the plane. Then later with Harley and Ivy in season two in Bane's prison, chooses to fall in order to, you know, save her and everything. Is that, am I onto something there or am I just having a fever dream? No, you're definitely on to something, and I can't take any credit for that. That was our animators. That was Jen. I remember Jen Coyle and Ceci Aronovich. They were two of our like lead, and Colin Heck, who who directed the the episode that were in Bane's Pit. Mm. They were. They all just kept referencing things that that they had come up with in in, in other episodes. And I remember when we did episode five when they go into Harley's mind. Mm-hmm. The first, you know, and she thinks her origin story is that she was pushed into Joker pushed her into the vat of that. Right. Right. He, he, she, she's lied to herself so many times that that's how she remembers it. And then when she actually sees it, so she, she sees herself following, right. It's like this, you know, I'm getting way too into weeds too, but in terms of our, how we felt about it, it was like, when you're being pushed, when you fall, you have no agency. You're just, it's you and the air, and there's nothing you can do, right? But when you choose to jump, you are making a choice, right? Yeah, you are having, yeah. you have some agency. So you'll see, like, in, and the animators were the ones who were, like, latched on to that. And, like, you know, when she decides, in Bane's pit, she decides to jump. So you see her. She's got a smile on her face mm-hmm. as she's, like, heading towards her death. Whereas when she's pushed out of the helicopter in episode nine, She's miserable. She's got this like terror when she remembers herself being pushed, even though it's not real. She's miserable. She has this like fear, right? So that was a big thing for us. And uh, it was amazing. You know, it really, really gave me goosebumps. And you know, too, especially as as a comic fan and a comic reader who saw, you know, who was there basically when DC decided in the new 52 to make this big turn from like, okay, you know, uh, Harley Quinn is like henchwoman and anti-villain to more of an anti-hero. And I always thought, I'm like, this is a good idea and I understand why, you know, she's the fourth pillar and everything now of DC Comics. But mm, I wish you guys had more time to sit down and really break and write this. And the show, I think, one of my favorite things about it is that it learned from, you know, all the growing pains in the comics of her making that turn. And honestly, I think it tells Harley's turning story better in two seasons of television than it did in years worth of comics. I really do. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, you know, we definitely like I want to give like a lot of due to the to the work that had been done in the comics, because I think that they it's one of those things where I think the first movement they made with Harley is it's very tough to make that first jump. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot harder to it's a lot harder to go from where it was to what they did than from what they did to what we did. I think we had a lot more like latitude. Yeah. Whereas like what 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 they were doing in the comics, it was the first time anyone was doing that with her Absolutely. character. So and they were kind of like building it from again, like people from you know, people remember, but it's like she wasn't born in the comics. She's not from the nineteen sixties. Like no. she was born in an animated show where she she you know, that's where you first saw her. So a lot of the stuff that was being built, it was being built for the first time. Definitely. So I just want to give so so much credit to the to like Jimmy and Amanda and the people who were really like working on on creating what is known as Harley Quinn. 
definitely, definitely. Uh, I love the stuff with her family, too. I mean, Charlie Adler just killing it as her father. Because that's, <laughs> that's another one of the things in the comics where her family is very vague. And because DC crisis is all the time, it's hard to keep it straight. But I truly think the Harley Quinn show invented the definitive Harley family. <laughs> We we tried. That episode was a real tough one. Like we broke it and rebroke it and wrote it and rewrote it several times because we were just like, what do we want to say? Like anytime you see somebody's family, like you're saying a lot about the character. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're 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 it's like almost an origin story more so than even the origin story that led to them being whatever supervillain or superhero they were. Right. So we were like you know, what, what does this look like? Like we wanted it to not just be like her dad was a piece of shit and her mom, you know, it's like um. this family had this like insidious relationship where they were all kind of just looking out for themselves and there was no sense of actual family. What we wanted at the end of that episode is we wanted you to feel what Harley's feeling, which is that she has no real family except for her mm. crew. Those are the people who actually love her. Absolutely. Uh, and a dead brother, too, which I like that they made reference yeah. to that, because that's another bit of a comic deep pull, and I like that. <laughs> yeah, we were, again, I think that was, a, that was, it was written in the script, but the animators, like, really went for it, that it was just, like, an urn in the opening credits of the, of the sitcom. Also, also Harley's own Judaism. I like that. We're reminded of that as well. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's funny, like, because I'm Jewish, and and half of the staff was Jewish. And I think, you know, I, 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 I feel like there was times when, you know, as a Jew, like I think that sometimes I'm, I'm, we were trying so hard in the show to like think about marginalized groups of people, right. Mm -hmm. To make sure like we were, you know, we have a whole love story between Harley and Ivy. And we wanted that like queer representation to and how. feel real and feel authentic, you know? And, and I think as a Jew, sometimes I would just like, I don't think as much about Jews. And so there was, a, I saw afterwards a couple of people were being like, hey, I felt like these jokes or some of these depictions were like not great depictions of Jews. And then and, and in, and in re-looking at it, I'm like, yeah, I think we missed a couple of things. But I think by the time we got to Harley's life, we really wanted to make sure that it was like, yeah, this is a Jewish character. <laughs> She's Jewish. Mm. And uh, that was wonderful. Uh, again, too, you mentioned the uh, Harley Ivy romance and everything, which was definitely something that, uh, you know, really interested me in the show because it's something they play within the comics and Elseworlds and everything, but they never really whole hog committed to it the way this show does. And again, just speaking for myself as someone who covered the show as it was coming out and everything, man. A lot of comic nerds have broken Gadar. I'm not going to lie that so many were shocked and amazed. I was like, I can't believe they made them a couple. I'm like, guys, that's literally been the subtext of the show since episode one. How how did you not yeah. pick up on this? <laughs> yes, I mean, that was like we, I remember when we were first doing we were like, we need to leave bread because our fear was like people were going to be like, hey, you just threw them together, which we, we the whole point of the show was they were eventually going to get together. Thank you. You know, and so we, we wanted to leave breadcrumbs exactly from episode one. I mean, in episode one, Ivy tells her, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> like they, you see the lengths Ivy goes to, to do that, to, to like help Harley. And like, the, it, you know, that was, and also I think it was important to us to not tell a like we wanted to be able to show like a queer love story that wasn't like some a coming also a coming out story like it was yeah, just two women yeah. who were 
two women who are in love, right? And they love each other, and that's the story we're telling. You know, they're not also trying to cope with, like, what is my sexuality? You know, even though that's obviously a huge thing for a lot of people, but I think I've seen that story, and we wanted to tell the story of just two women being in love without having without also having to put anything else in top, on top of it. That's that's really interesting. Even me as a fan who digs into stuff a lot. Wow, you're right. Yeah, they, they never had a coming out moment. You're absolutely right. Holy shit. How did I not catch that? You you, you guys really uh, tightrope walked that one. <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, another thing, too, you know, obviously, is that season one and season two were done back to back with only like uh, a month in between the shows, you know, uh, coming out and airing. What, what was that like working on two seasons of television, uh, back to back and, you know, knowing, uh, what had to go where basically. It was actually kind of great because we got to make the first two seasons of the show in a total vacuum because mm. two, both, both seasons were done before the first one even came out. Um, or like close to done. And, and so for us, it was like, we got to make a show without any fan reaction, which like, and I love fan reaction. Like I, I'm always, I'm active on the Harley subreddit. Like I read reviews. I mean, as you see, like I, I interact with you, I interact Indeed. with other people on, you know, like I, I like talking about the show. Um, but it was, it was a unique opportunity. You just don't get to do that very often. Make two seasons of TV before anyone even sees the first season. And you know, I remember one time earlier in our career, we had a meeting with Damon Lindelof and he was like talking about the fact that he doesn't, he was like, I don't think you can make a show like Lost anymore because you'd like, just like you you'd constantly be churning through like fan reactions to everything and, mm. and everybody would be guessing everything and you just, you would ultimately just like turn into mush. Um, and I think, you know, we didn't get, we didn't have that. And so, you know, the, if, if we're, if we get a third season, which I really hope we do, and I, <laughs> I feel like we should, no um, doubt. this will be, that'll be the first season we make with like those fan thoughts in our head. Interesting. Interesting. I, uh, again, to just speaking, you know, from my own, uh, very particular point of view, I loved early on in the show, you actually did, uh, kind of cast a glance to the online superhero community with, uh, Dr. Psycho's kid basically being a supervillain reviewer. I'm like, Hey, look, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we were, cause we tried like part of our pitch to the show was like, Hey, we, we want all the things that come with all the moments, uh, of being a supervillain that aren't the ones you see in the movies will be where the show lives. Right. right. So like in reality, if there were supervillains and suit, and I think actually, by the way, I think the, the boys does this really well on Amazon, but yeah. uh, I think like the, all the things that would come along with these uh, big, huge personalities are things like there would be an active online community, like talking about it, you know, Absolutely. like there'd be like there, those things would happen in those, and there would be somebody who is the most famous reviewer who would have a lot of power, you know, who would, you know, so I think, and, and the Legion, and like, think about a supervillain. They dress up in costumes to commit crimes. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, they, it's, it's not to conceal their identity. It's just because they have these enormous egos. So, of course, they would read all their own reviews, you I'm know. I'm signing like, my work. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. 
So I think that was like an important thing to us is to talk about, you know, all the ego involved in this kind of thing. Naturally, naturally. Uh, you, you mentioned too about just how supportive, you know, DC and Warner Brothers and everyone was when it came to making the show. Was there anything that they ever really put their foot down? They're like, mm, that's a little too far. Oh, no, you can't do that because we're working with something over here. Yeah, there was. I remember there was two things. One of them I can share because this didn't end up happening. Okay. Um, but But when we were first casting the show before we knew because we love Diedrich's version of Batman from Brave and the Bold. Yeah, I love um, that connection. Yeah, but we were like, oh, maybe we should like not use something that's like already existed. Maybe we should, you know, maybe we should go a different direction. And we and before the big before we actually got to like talk to Diedrich and we were like, oh, he's perfect. Um, but uh, I remember we sent a thing and we were like, hey, uh, we'd like to send an offer out to John Hamm to play oh. to voice Bat to voice Batman, and we had sent out a lot of offers, and they never, DC was never like, "No, you can't," and they were just like, "You cannot send it out for him to be Batman." And we realized that it seemed like they were trying to get him to play live action Batman. <laughs> you <laughs> so you can't like, have him because we might want him. Yes, exactly. And then obviously they didn't end up not going with John, but uh, that was one. Uh, there was another one where we, again, like Commissioner Gordon was a conversation and definitely we had to get them there, but they led, but they, we had a ver our initial version of Aquaman was like super Momoa. Oh, it was really? Like super bro. Super dude. We, we took it like really far. Like he was like, I grew up in San Diego, which is, I think is like the epicenter of bros. Naturally. Um, and, uh, and so the character was like very much a San Diego bro. And DC was like, no, we we hate this. We hate it so much. Like, we're like, Aquaman has to be, like, regal. So we reconceived the character to be, like, this kind of, like, guy who would be in an episode of Frasier, basically. That's um, funny. And we thought they'd hate that, too, but they were like, no, this is way better. <laughs> we like this. Um, and I can't think of anything else. Like, honestly, like, when we were doing Powerless, like, we couldn't do anything. Like, we couldn't show Batman's hands. One time we asked to see, we asked to have Batman's hands in a episode, and they were like, no. So, wow. <laughs> so we, you know, I think live action, cause they just don't want to like, they, they're very careful about what everything is in live action. And, but in this, they really just like gave us the keys to the castle. That's so amazing. Again, you, you mentioned Powerless again. You know, there's a lot of uh, recurring performers from Powerless to this. Obviously, you got Ron Funches. Obviously, you got Alan Tudyk and everyone coming back here. And I think that's so amazing. And, oh, hey, well, Tudyk is in my mind. I, uh, I'm i sure you caught this in one of the last episodes of Doom Patrol. They actively mentioned, hey, where's Alan Tudyk's yes. character? Oh, he got a voice acting gig. <laughs> yes, I thought that was awesome. I think dude, Doom Patrol is so underrated. It gets, like, it gets... It goes places that no other comic book show goes, really. And like it, I, I think it's and so true Sorry, to the source. I was gonna say, and so true to the source material too. In that weirdness, like those those people get it, much like you Harley folks got it. Yeah, absolutely. Like they, it's so clear they like love it. You know, um, they really. Yeah, I hope that show finds a, a big audience on uh, HBO Max. I, I think they did such a good job. Um, sure yeah, I mean this this. Our voice cast was, like, insane. I mean, we really – it was just one of those things where every single time 
we'd be like, oh, well, who's our first first choice for this role? And then we'd go out to them and they'd be like, yeah, I'll do it, which never happens. It's like it's, it's usually like impossible to get your fourth choice mm-hmm. or like, anything. Like, so. like even characters who didn't even have uh, those big a parts like uh, Rachel Dratch as Nora Freeze is pretty freaking cool. Yes, totally. Like, exactly. And it was like all these like comedic heroes like Rachel, who I've like watched on SNL since and everything else since I was, you know, young. Like to get to be able to get her to voice these like little parts, and she's and you can see they all bring their own fun. Like one of my favorite lines in the whole show, Rachel voices. It's when it's when uh, they're at uh, Themyscira for the mm. bachelorette party episode, and they they kill uh, the they they defeat Luther's plan and save the Amazons, and and Rachel voices the uh, the queen of the Amazons, mm. and she goes. And she's like, uh, she's like, uh, in the grand, in the grand Amazon tradition, uh, for saving us, uh, we're going to, and Harley's like, have a fucking rager. <laughs> and, and then, and then Rachel goes, have a fucking rager. rager. <laughs> like this really weird intonation, but it's like when you get a really talented performer like Rachel Dratch, you can like, she could put a spin on any any sentence and it becomes funny. I'm glad you brought that too, is that what was great about this cast too is that so many people were pulling double and in Alan Tudyk's case, quadruple duty voicing multiple characters. Oh my god. Alan Tudyk and James Adomian voice I would I would bet they voice sixty characters over the course of the series. They're they're machines. Like from what, yeah. They're both so I mean, Alec, uh, Alan and James are, like, two of the greatest voice performers in the world. Um, but, like, yeah, they're, it's what they do is so amazing. So, so what you're saying in Season 3 is we're going to get an episode that's just Alan Tudyk talking to other Alan Tudyk characters. We were, we were discussing that. We're like, how many Alan Tudyk characters can we get in one scene where they're all just talking to each other? Because he, he can make his voice do anything. And he can give, like, actual real performances in any of those voices, you know? Like, his work, like, Clayface could have been such a one-note character. Oh, yeah. Um, but Alan, like, brought so much to that character in so many different levels. And, like, he hit so many different things in that in those performances that it became a full fleshed out character. We just kept using more and more and more. And that everyone was so game, even actors you wouldn't think like Alfred Molina and Michael Ironside come on in and they're like, oh, you guys are funny too. Yeah, it was great. And also, but I should mention that Lake also probably voiced 60 characters. Like Lake is, Lake is right there with Alan and James. Lake so Bell is, is, she is amazing. I Transformed mean, really, the really character amazing. Of Poison Ivy. Yeah. And that was something, that was a definitely a discussion because with DC the first time, we were first trying to, we heard Lake's audition and we were like, this is a thousand percent Poison Ivy. This is it. Like what she did, that's it. And we sent it to DC and they were kind of like, well, Poison Ivy is usually like a seductress. She's yeah. usually like, you know, and we were like, we don't want to go that way. We want to do what we, uh, trust us. What Lake Bell is doing is like special. Like she's really, really talented, you know, and especially opposite Kaylee who, Kaylee has such, like, we purposely only had Kaylee ever voice Harley. Like, we didn't want to have Kaylee do double duty on anything because we wanted Harley to just sound like Harley, and that's it. There's no, like, extra uh, stuff. Um, And so what what Kaylee was 
what Kaylee was able to do, like opposite Lake, like both those two are just such talented comedic performers. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. The the, the thing that made me fall in love with uh, Lake Bell's performance was in episode two when she's telling all those bad little rich kids to fuck off, and I'm like, all right, yep, this is I'm in love now. Yep, can't uh, can't break this. <laughs> yeah, that was that was and. and Lake, Lake uh, ad-libbed also a lot of any line where she's cursing is probably something that was like improv by Lake. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask that too because a lot of the comedy in the show does have kind of this improvisational feel to it. Was what was there like a lot of room in the scripts for the actors to kind of vamp and kind of do their own thing? Yeah, so like our co our co creator of the show, Dean Loring, he was me, Patrick, and Dean. We like to all develop the show together. And Dean also had been with us on Powerless, but previous to Powerless, Dean uh, was like one of the people who ran Arrested Development. And so like Dean was like, Dean also directed along with Charlie Adler and Patrick directed, but Dean, the early episodes directed all the voice performances. And Dean was like, look, like I think we can bring the style of how people speak in live action and how they speak in Arrested Development, how we kind of have this like bantery mm. trail off overlapping dialogue where we allow for a lot of improv. I think we can have that here on the show, even though that's not done in animation really. No. And so no. <laughs> yeah, it's not done at all. So Dean, Dean really like brought that to the show. Dean, the re- if, if you love the way the show sounds, and I do, I love the way mm-hmm. that the dialogue kind of overlaps and stuff. Like, that's Dean Laurie. That's like Arrested Development. That's what he brought to the show. That is that is so freaking cool. And I think I think you guys helped kind of start a trend because, you know, between the improvisational tone on this and, you know, like Rick and Morty will do one like once a season. There's a, there's a new Bobby Moynihan show uh, called Lofi, ironically also with Ron Funches in it. And that show is just straight up improv. That's just they get a bunch of funny comedians together and then they animate it later. And I'm like, wow, what an interesting way to do a show. Of course, that show is only like, you know, 10, 11 minutes, but still. Yeah, no, I think I'm glad that people are like using animation in all these different ways because it it really like it's such a rewarding medium where you can really do anything. And I think as Bojack Horseman has shown, like you can tell really emotional stories like mm-hmm. i think you know we I, in in the episode where harley and ivy kiss for the first time in bane's pit mm-hmm. ivy gives ivy gets on stage and she like gives this monologue about how she's kind of like hit rock bottom and how she's in she's in she's lived her whole life in a pit essentially mm-hmm. like some emotion emotional pit you know <laughs> and it's like a minute and a half of just close on poison ivy's animated face and it's a testament to like a Lake being such a good vocal performer, uh, performer, Colin Heck, who directed the episode, like putting so much care into the facial acting of the character, but also like we probably don't get to do that episode. If Bojack doesn't do what Bojack does. Yeah. Does, you know, does like, a whole silent episode does an episode that's just him at a funeral. Yeah, exactly. And so I think like, you know, you, we stand on their shoulders to be able to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
you know, I, 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 I've stolen a fair amount of your day today, and I appreciate it. But as we start winding down here, uh, anything else you want to promote? Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, obviously, we're, we're not quite sure yet about a possible Season 3, although we both agree it would be truly awesome. And uh, DC Fandom event is in a few weeks, so maybe we'll know better by then. I hope so. I mean, as currently, I'll be totally honest, like, I don't know. Like, I feel... I feel like we we should get one. I think we we were we you know we were definitely one of the breakouts of DC Universe. Oh hell and, yeah! And but it's 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 up to HBO Max whether or not they're going to pick up another. And we've been talking with them, but I mean, really, it is like people putting like I know it sounds silly, but like people online putting pressure on DC on non HBO max and, and, tr- and telling them, I love this show and watch and watching the mm. show on HBO max. Yeah. Like, especially, I mean, that's, I think that's the biggest vote you can, you can make is no watching doubt. it with your time online. Um, and, and so I think, you know, we're, we're close. I think we're, I think we'll get one, but I don't know for certain for you know, and I, I wish, we had already heard. I know uh, there's, you know, come, there's come. things happening, but but it, I, you know, it, yeah, indeed there is even before we started. But yeah, c- come on, HBO Max, do the right thing. Don't leave the Harley money on the table. Come on. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a big audience for the show. Like they've come out and watched it. Like it's not a it's not a thing where it's like oh this is this critical darling that no one watched. Like we had a lot of people watch the show, so yeah. I feel like. And a lot it's of just, we really were on a well done small. think pieces and a lot of like, you know, cultural websites picking up on it too. Like, you know, a lot of really good eyes were on the show. Yeah, I was, that's what I've been most blown away by is just like the amount of people who have like felt some kind of like emotional connection from the show or felt like the show was putting out something positive. One of my, one of my fr- uh, friends is a writer and uh, she says, She's like, our only real job is to make sure we're not putting like negative shit out into the world. That's an excellent like, way to look at it. It's like try to make the best TV you can, and and try to put positive like things out in the world. It doesn't mean like shows have to be rosy and positive. Just that you, the the messages you're asking people to think about, the things you know, like you're putting out things that are making the world better. That's really your only job, or at worst, just things that aren't making the world worse. Absolutely. How? Oh, I, I guess too, because now you reminded me of this. Uh, how? Uh, how did it feel that the big Harley Ivy kiss episode also happened to air on the same day that uh, Shira also did their big long running uh, queer romance kiss as well? Is isn't that a funny bit of serendipity? Yeah, that was crazy. I had no. I I haven't watched Shira, so I, I didn't. I didn't know that that was happening, but. And then when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. It's like serendipitous, you know, that these two things are happening at the uh, at the same time. I think, you know, like that, it, it felt like, oh, this feels like a, you know, a cultural step forward. Yeah, that it all happened on the same day. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Justin, for coming and talking to me today. This was really wonderful. I'm sure the fans are going to positively love this. Uh, where, where can they find you on social media? Where can they follow you? And uh, where can they go to uh, pressure HBO Max to make sure we get season three? <laughs> <laughs> well, they can follow me, Justin underscore Halpern, on Twitter. Um and I don't, that's really all I have. I don't have an in, Instagram or anything else. Um, and then, you know, I, I really think like tweeting at HBO Max and also just watching the show. If you have HBO Max, just toss the show on 
and it that's the biggest way you can show them hey there's this is the audience for it um Wicked. you know so i think those are the those are the two big things there you go. So uh, there you have it, everyone. Uh, I'll start closing the show here right now. Again, if you're a patron, you'll get to listen to this first. Before anyone else, you can become a patron for as low as a dollar a month. Be sure to follow me on Twitter, at Cape Joel. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, so you're always up to speed on uh, what's going to happen next. And uh, when we're done this recording right here, uh, I'm going to plead and beg uh, Justin to uh, get me a part in Season 3 so I can be, you know, Dr. Psycho's uh, kid's rival on the internet. I'm like the positive one, and so, you know, we get into like a flame war and everything i got a whole pitch but you know that can wait for later so thank you so much everyone for listening and i'll be back again next week everyone bye bye <laughs>